Well, amazingly, uh, we're sticking to our schedule, our accelerated schedule for 2016. So welcome to episode number 75 of the Development Hell podcast. I'm your permanent guest host, Chris Arches. At the other side here is Ed Finkler. Ed, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing okay. Other than forgetting about my birthday, you're doing okay? Yeah, that was a, a faux pas on my part. Well, I don't Oops. even remember when your birthday is either. So I guess, I guess for this, I guess for this year we're even. Because I do know you had like a pretty good milestone birthday, the fortieth the other day. But uh, and sometime last year, I remember seeing all the pictures. And I remember being upset that you didn't tell me because I would have, uh, I would have come down and uh, hung out for your birthday. It would have been awesome. Quattro ten. Yeah. yeah, that would be cool. You should come down. Next time, I should do that next year. We'll get all tore up. I'll come down. Uh, I'll bring uh, I'll bring Frost with me, and we'll get uh, we'll, well the three of us Ooh. will get totally wrecked. That would be a party. R e k t wrecked. Yeah. So oh, so this uh, this episode is a little bit of a under the radar one because we kind of slacked off and didn't discuss with each other uh, too far in advance what we wanted to do, but. Uh, so in this case, we don't have any uh, special guest. Um, we have two very interesting topics to go over tonight. But before we get into those, Ed, why don't you talk about our sponsors? Oh, yes, our sponsors. Uh, I wasn't thinking about them uh, because I was looking at uh, other stuff. And now my browser is being super slow. I'm getting a rainbow wheel. So, hey, we have, there's their sponsors. So we have three sponsors once again. This has been a plethora of sponsors. And I do mean that in the true sense that it's actually kind of too many. First, uh, but not for our wallets. Right, Chris? <laughs> First, uh, we got Rove. Uh, they're your PHP experts for hire. Um, they're like the A-team, except uh, it's... Uh, I don't know, but less sort of comically violent. Um, they still have that dog uh, that I think is working out really well. And uh, they're doing the dog is doing training uh, right now. It's actually running all the training stuff that they're doing. Um, and otherwise, it's just pretty much business as usual. Rove things exploding, kicking ass. Um, they uh, doing that one man show. Uh, oops. I PHP'd again. And so that's what they got going on. Uh, so, yeah, you should call them. Rove.com. Call them. Write them. Get them. They do your PHP stuff for you. Good. PHP good. Rove. And then also we have uh, Backup Pro, which uh, Backup Pro is this highly radical backup plugin that works with a bunch of different CMSs like uh, Concrete 5, WordPress, Express and Engine, Craft CMS, and I think the other one is some shopping site. Prestacart? That's it. Prestacart. Anyway, so it backs up all the data, and it's super sophisticated and powerful, and a lot of times, you, uh, if you've built anything for clients or anything like that, where you know they're working with stuff and you build it on top of a CMS like one of those, and you know they break stuff and they gotta get it from backup because you, uh, you know they they I don't know accidentally deleted all their stuff, things of that nature. Well, Backup Pro is really good. Does a bunch of automated backups. Can back up to a whole bunch of different systems. S3 over FTP. Uh, it can email you stuff if for some unknown reason you want to do that, uh, and you can write. Uh, fly system uh, adapters 
to uh, back up to your own personal thing, like if you want to back it up onto your VAX server that you have running in your basement. So, uh, and it does a bunch of checks to make sure that the backup is good and it's going to work when you actually try to restore it, things of that nature. So it's super cool, and you should check it out. Uh, they've been sponsoring us here for a couple episodes and uh, doing real good, so go buy it. now. And one of the cool things is that you can get half off with the Dev Hell promo code. Normally it's ninety nine dollars. You can get it for like uh, forty nine fifty, which is pretty good. So uh, you go get that. You roll that into your uh, cost of the client, and uh, everything's coming up. Millhouse, and then uh, Wonder Networks, of course, providing the bandwidth for this fine episode that we are uh, spitting out right now. Wonder Network, what happened to your network? They do some other stuff, too, like a personal VPN system, uh, a bunch of load testing stuff, uh, checking your website from a bunch of different geographic locations to check uh, localization stuff, things like that. But the main thing is that cool uh, phrase that I came up with. So let's just stick with that. Uh, We're going to send that back um, to Wonder Network, and I think they're going to use that for all of their Canadian television advertising. Wonder Network. Because that's like literally thousands of dollars in free advertising and marketing services we've been able to provide them uh, over these 75 episodes. So, you know. Thousands and thousands of dollars. I hope Paul appreciates it. I know Gemma does. Not so sure about Paul. No, Paul does not appreciate it. Um, Gemma understands that the effort, the, uh, the sacrifices we've made. Um, you know, everything. Just, just how the blood, sweat, and tears particularly blood uh, that we put into this. And, uh, you know, at least she, at least she knows. All right. So, so two things we're going to talk about today. Uh, first thing we're going to get into is the, some of the early returns from the uh, open sourcing mental illness survey that Ed uh, posted. It's going to be like uh, two weeks ago. You first put it up. This is, yeah. Mar- this mm-hmm. is we're recording this on uh, March 27th. And Hey, my phone just, uh, Sent a message to my watch, which just buzzed and said that somebody bought something from the swag shop. So that's pretty good. Oh, good! Somebody did that. Somebody I guess that. Something. I guess that means I have to I have to have my wife mail them, which yeah, she's, gonna I, mad I, at, she's gonna be mad at me about uh, this. Uh, I gotta tell you. As an aside, I have been finding following your wife on Twitter to be a total delight. Yeah. Uh, earlier tonight, uh, when I told her I was going to do a podcast, she said that maybe our periods were going to get in sync. <laughs> um, so that's the kind of thing that I'm you putting just, up with. You can just tell your wife, can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> yeah. And she told me to drink some cranberry juice. Yeah, so, she's uh, yeah. she's jealous for all the wrong reasons. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and the other day when I went when I went into the uh, Mozilla office, I wore the uh, the uh, uh, you know fear is stronger than hate or whatever the shirt is and uh, I don't even remember but that's okay yeah I wore that shirt with the cool fascist two fascist hands linked together and I, luckily because yeah. I'm in Canada I didn't get mistaken for a Trump supporter but I got a got oh, yeah. a couple of hey n- nice nice shirt dude when I was there I was like I was like thanks it was free so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so let's talk let's talk about about the survey so the the, the right. first time like this survey is a little bit different but you did one of these before um, where yeah. you were soliciting um, uh, anonymous uh, feedback from people basically asking them uh, questions about 
their own uh, experiences with mental illness and and with a focus on if uh, you know what support is there where you work, what do you feel the reaction would be from mm-hmm. your friends, your family, your coworkers, and your employer if you were having mental health issues? So yep. uh, so far, Ed, how many people have responded to the survey so far? Like ballpark figure. Uh, well, I, I think I have the exact number, 593. Right. Five, so. And how does that compare to the last time you did the survey? Well, last time, if, if I'm talking about like uh, initially, it's less. But I and I don't know why that is exactly. Um, like in the first day when we did the last one, we had 700. And so this has been a couple of weeks, but it's been pretty steady. So I don't know, could just be more people are talking about it and feel less like excited about, Oh my God, I got to do this right now. You know, and shouting it out to the, to the, to the Hills. Um, but it's still a lot. I mean, even just at right now, like 600, basically that's a pretty high number for getting this kind of information back. Um, and I would imagine that, you know, I'm going to keep pushing it. I'd imagine we're going to get over a thousand. I think total we had with the one in 2014 was 1400 and it, I let it run for a few months. So it, uh, you know, I, I expect that we'll keep doing that. Uh, and every time I mention it, there's a, there's a jump, right? Every time I sort of talk about it on Twitter or something like that, there's a jump of like 20, 30, 40 people. So, uh, so I think it's going very well, but maybe not the, uh, you know, it's not, not as like insane as it was before. I don't know what that means. We still have a lot of responses. Uh, and, uh, that's the thing. Now somebody's asking me a question and I have to type into that Slack, uh, to, that's not a very, uh, good way of handling recording something live is to get distracted and then talk into a chat room. Anyway, so yeah, we've had about 600 people so far. So this time out, what's the, is the goal of this survey different from the first one? Are we, I mean, I don't, like, I didn't keep the first one. I'm pretty sure I answered the first one. I definitely answered the second one. Right. Um, and I'm just wondering, like, is the goal different this time? Is, is the the outcome of this survey, are you looking for something different than the first time you did it? Um, I would say the goal is basically the same. Um, a lot of the questions are the same or similar. Um, I'd say there's a couple differences. The first thing is that I decided, uh, well, I guess, so the one thing would be asking better questions and taking into account People who are self-employed and people who are outside the U.S. uh, in terms of the way questions are structured, how the survey is structured, things of that nature. So sometimes when I asked questions in the first one, uh, because I didn't do a good job anticipating everything because it wasn't necessarily something I had a lot of experience with, uh, I would ask things assuming that you are you work for an employer as opposed to being self-employed and kind of make some assumptions about if you're in the U S or not. Um, I modified that 
you know, I, I sort of changed how things were structured. There's a separate section for self-employed versus, you know, employed by someone else. So it shows you a different set of questions based on that. And the, and some of the things are similar, but it changes the phrasing and things like that. Probably the second thing, like major thing, is that uh, in terms of the actual content, is that it that one of the things I didn't do last time, and I think it, I, I really want to do this time, was to ask specific questions about diagnoses that people have received or that they suspect that they have. Um, and the reason I did that was because there is almost no information uh, particularly amongst sort of this like developer types, these people who are, you know, actual, let's say, who are creating things, uh, the, the pro- not just programmers, but yeah, programmers and uh, let's call them developers. We all know what that means. Uh, and there really hasn't been much information about, for example, do, do the general population numbers in terms of incidents and commonality of uh, different kinds of diagnoses, um, do they bear out? Like, do you see the same kinds of numbers in terms of, you know, hey, you know, how many people deal with depression versus anxiety versus ADHD? And what are the comorbidity rates? Because typically people will have frequently have multiple diagnoses. So that's a a common thing too. Uh, So when you add up the number of like things diagnosed uh, and like what you've been diagnosed with, it adds up to usually well over a hundred percent when I, when I look at the results. So that was a big thing was to like actually get information about, well, what kinds of things are people suffering from? And I didn't ask those questions last time. And I I sort of like, oh, I really wish I had. So I am this time. Um, I think the other big differences about this survey are that I have a lot more help by people who know what they're doing, which I kind of don't. I don't have any background in terms of like writing surveys, doing like research surveys and things like that. And so as a consequence, that means that I don't always ask questions the right way you know i i I, something i think about and i do an okay job at but there are definitely people who have an actual background in this who are better at it than i am and um and so that's interesting uh and i've gotten a lot of really good feedback uh from people who are volunteering to help out with uh open sourcing mental illness uh to say hey maybe you want to word this like this maybe you don't want to use this phrase maybe restructure so we got a lot of good feedback like that and that those folks were really really helpful um and when i did my uh sort of my recent update um blog post and 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 uh i was sent out to the mailing list um that had a bunch of info about like who like helped out and stuff so uh we should link to that into the into the notes um but yeah that's that's uh you know, those are sort of the differences. I think the one other thing I did was I didn't use Google Forms. And that was because I used Typeform and I actually paid for it. So, you, folks, that's the kind of commitment I have. Look at you, you, big spender, paying for something. Well, I, people give me money. I mean, so. Um, but the, the one thing that a few people gave feedback on last time was that they didn't feel comfortable entering it into a Google-owned property which I can kind of understand that, I guess, because 
Oh, I mean, you could do some things like you wipe your browser out and all this, but you know, the whole, the, what a, a huge part of what Google does is try to synchronize information for the sake of putting advertising and things. And, uh, you're trying to find out as much as possible about a person to sort of profile them. So even if it was just like, unless they're going to be like, I'm going to jump on a VPN, let's say you get from wonder network or, uh, something of that nature, to hide your IP address and then also, you know, use a browser that's in private browsing mode. And so you don't send any cookies or something, you know, it's, it, I can understand why people maybe were felt a little weird about that. So I specifically wanted to use a different system. Um, and uh, Typeform has been pretty good. So I've been relatively happy with it. I think it's not a hundred percent designed to handle real, like pretty long surveys. And this one is kind of long. But uh, I think it does pretty well. All right. Well, that that sounds very cool. So my my own final question for this is, what are you? What's the next step with the survey results? Once you've you know you're going to leave this up for a couple of months. Hopefully, you generate similar numbers of responses to the first time. So what's the, what's the right. end game for the survey? Well, so I, there's a couple things. Um, uh, the first thing I guess is to see. Well, in a year and a half, has there been any shift in terms of attitudes right i i you know um are people more open less open you know the same i don't know you know so that's part of it and to track that and i would imagine that that's something that we try to do on an annual or semi-annual basis uh not well is semi less than annual i don't think more i don't think less than annual I think maybe every couple of years, maybe every year. I don't know. It's been like a year now, two thirds uh, since I did the last one. So I'm sort of splitting the difference. Um, I think the other thing that we want to get out of it is, uh, is finding that information. Like I talked about, about our, let's just say, and I'm spec that's, that's not something that's backed up with the numbers, but I can talk about them a little bit that I've seen so far. Cause we've got 600 so far. That's a pretty good little sample set. Um, you know, do you see higher incidence of different kinds of things that's different than the general population? And if you do, maybe that means that when we're dealing with folks who say work in tech, especially developer types, do we need to focus on different kinds of things to help more people? Um, and I can give you a little bit of information about that now. Um, I will, in fact, I have a link which I will put in the Slack and in the IRCs, uh, which is the current survey results, which are, I want to say it's, it's, a, it's less useful than you think it might be as it is right now, because all this does is says, how many people answered this and what did they answer? But what you don't see is like, Okay, how do those things correlate? Like, um, do people who report that they're self-employed report a higher incidence of, let's say, anxiety disorders? Let's just say. So I can't you can't easily check that now. You actually would have to get the raw data and then do that stuff yourself. But I can at least, you know, put those numbers out there uh, for the full breakdown of everything. Um, And that is pretty interesting. Um, and, and I should say all this stuff is going, we're, as we're always going to do, we're going to release all this data, uh, with a creative commons license. So it's going to be free to use, uh, free to distribute. You just have to show attribution. Um, but there are some interesting things I think we can gather. Um, 
the first thing to remember when I'm saying this is that there's probably going to be some matter of self-selection because you, somebody who is dealing with, who has dealt with or is dealing with um, mental wellness issues uh, is probably going to be more likely to answer this survey. So the overall rate of, say, of have you been diagnosed with a mental health disorder or a mental health issue? Um, what did I call that there? I think I said a disorder, which yeah, but you would we debate about like, how, what do I call it? Do I call it a disorder? Do I call it an issue? Do I call it this one? That's a whole thing. And sometimes some people won't answer because of, of, of that. So they'll be like, I don't think that it's a disorder. And I'm, I can understand where they're coming from, but we sort of had to pick a common language. Um, so right now, and again, I think there's going to be a self-selection bias here uh, of the people that says we asked the question. Um, let's see. Do you have a hit family history of mental illness? 46% of people said yes. Um, 36 said no. 19 said, I don't know. Have you had a mental health disorder in the past? 51% said yes. And again, that's probably the, and then it says you currently have a mental health disorder is 39%. To give you an idea about self-selection stuff, um, we just don't know. It could be that the self-selection is, is pushing those numbers up. The general rate of, uh, uh, in the population is about 20%. Um, and that seems to stay pretty steady uh, from most data I've seen and also in most sort of, I guess, what do you, what are we going to call them that isn't uh, insulting to everybody else? Industrialized nations? I don't know. Let's say North America and Europe. Uh, it's probably about that. So if you but here's where it gets interesting. If yes, you have been diagnosed with, you currently have a mental health disorder, what conditions have you been diagnosed with? Oh, and I should say maybe. Do you currently have a mental health disorder? We also had a maybe, and that was pretty high, 22%. So if you add that up, that's 62%. Uh, that's pretty high. Again, could be, it may be that you have a higher incident in the population of developers. It also is probably the case that you're getting self-selection there. Uh, but... But if we say yes, what conditions have you been diagnosed with? Have you been diagnosed with these conditions? Yes. What what ones? This is where it gets interesting because the data we have here in terms of what you've been diagnosed with, um, that isn't probably going to be as self-selective. That's probably going to be more reflective of like what kinds of conditions do people who are developer types or folks who work in tech, uh, what do they deal with? And one interesting thing is that mood disorders are high are the highest um are the highest uh, uh, response here was 73% of people saying that I've been diagnosed with that. That's 73% of people who said, yes, I've been diagnosed. I have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder. That's higher than the general population. Um, mood disorders. And I should say deal with that's things like depression, but also includes bipolar disorder, things of that nature. Um, depression is pretty is generally pretty high in the general population, but not as high as anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders aren't included in that in mood disorders, um, and generally, anxiety disorders are the number, the number one thing in the general population. In this, they're talking about you know the, the results I have back here. Uh, mood disorders are higher. Uh, anxiety disorders are number two with sixty percent. 
Um, and then third is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder with 21%. I also think that that is a pretty high number. I don't know. Again, I, I want to get this. This is data actually broken out by people who know what they're doing, which I don't I, I don't know exactly what conclusion I can draw from that. But it may be the case, and I'm going to say maybe, it may be the case that we see here that there's a higher incidence of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder amongst developers than we'd expect. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder was 11%. Substance use disorder was 9%. Um, and then there's a, bu- there's a bunch of other stuff in here, uh, down to dissociative disorders, psychotic disorders. You know, all that stuff is, is under, under you know, 8% or lower. Um, so, and then if you look at what conditions do you believe you have, if you maybe have one right now, uh, it plays out, um, pretty similarly, although the interesting thing is that there's a higher incidence of stress response syndromes and personality disorders. Those would be things like borderline, antisocial, paranoid disorders, things of that nature. And it's also still the case that people feel that they have a mood disorder that is still higher than anxiety disorders. That's different than the general population. That's pretty interesting. Um, Again, that's, do you believe you have one? Now, if we diagnose with a mental health condition by a medical professional. These are people reporting, yes, I've been diagnosed with a mental health condition by a medical professional. That hopefully is going to be a good thing because it's not people necessarily self-diagnosing, but it's people saying, this is the diagnosis I received. Uh, If so, what conditions were you diagnosed with? Uh, Those numbers play out again. That mood disorders are very high. 73% of people said they were diagnosed with that. Uh, either depression or bipolar disorder. Those are the two most common ones. Um, and depression is typically more, quite a bit more common than bipolar. Um, so it's interesting that we might see a different breakdown there than we do see in the general population, which I think is pretty cool in the sense that that's information we probably didn't have before. Um, like I said, there's been very little stuff done here. Um, and so the incidence rate of this kind of stuff, I think it's really interesting to see that. And then that can guide, well, what do you do about that? And do we need to put more time into some stuff that we didn't before? You know what I mean? Do we just treat them like the general population or is there something different happening? I don't know. Maybe there is here. Um, I think other things that I asked about, which I thought was kind of cool in, to, to learn about, is, is do people feel that, and this was a question I think suggested by one of the volunteers, is if you have a mental health issue, do you feel that it interferes with your work when, when it's being treated effectively and then when it's not being treated effectively? Um, when it's being treated effectively, uh, people, and this was one that everybody answered, of people said sometimes, 22% said rarely, 8% said never. Uh, 41% said it was not applicable to me. They probably haven't received a diagnosis. If you have a mental health issue, do you feel it interferes with your work when not being treated effectively? And often, it was very high, 36%. That's the highest rate there. That's a really high number. And I think emphasizes the importance of actually getting treatment. Because if people are dealing with these kinds of issues... And they feel that it's often interfering with their ability to do work. That's a large percentage of people who are dealing with this, who, you know, aren't who uh, that, that that's a high rate of 
this thing interfering with your work. And therefore it's, I think we can draw a conclusion from that, that it's, it's, and we've gotten this from lots of other stuff too, but I think that underlines once again, how important it is that the workplace participate in helping people and being supportive of people to get treatment. Um, and, uh, the fact that if that, if they don't, that it is likely that it impacts their employees ability to be productive. Uh, so that's another, another thing that breaks down. Um, uh, it's interesting. We only had 58% of respondents from the United States. I think that's lower than it was before. I think we have more international people responding, um, which I think is uh, pretty interesting. Um, and uh, so I think that's kind of that's kind of interesting. I had one person who gave me some feedback and said they couldn't answer it because they weren't in the U.S. and it was different. But I don't know. I think a lot of people have been able to answer. Okay. Um, but whenever you do a survey, people, there's always folks who are like, I can't answer this question. And I don't, you know, there's always like one or two. And if there's like a bunch of people say the same thing, then, OK, there's a problem. But for the most part, th- I've gotten a lot less of that this year, which is probably a testament to uh, me not doing it myself. Um, and th- I think those are the main things we can get. Um of the 600 people who've responded, I asked like what des- best describes their work position. Backend developer was 56%. Frontend developer is 31%. DevOps slash sysadmin was 21%. Supervisor slash team lead was 20%. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, work remotely never was only 21%. That's kind of interesting. 23% said always and 55% said sometimes, which I, which is a pretty high number. I think that's interesting. Um, but it'd be interesting to see too, like, what do these things break out? Like what do backend developers seem to look like? What do front end developers seem to look like? What do team leads seem to look like? Right. So you could break out different stuff from that and kind of see if there's trends there, like do team leads tend to deal with issue X more than they do with issue Y. And so there's a lot of stuff in here that if you, when we do analysis on it, I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, so, but that's kind of what I've been able to grok so far from it. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's lots of really interesting information. Yes. Lots of numbers. I hope it was somehow semi-comprehensible. Uh, but, but yeah, I, if, if you want to, you can, you know, look through the link, uh, that'll be in our show notes. Uh, but it's pretty interesting stuff. And like I said, this is, it'll get a lot more interesting when you can say, break it down by sort of uh, demographics. And then it'll be really interesting to see how people break out. So yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe what you, you even end up here with is a data set that maybe some folks who are studying these type of things, you know, maybe right. use for a dissertation or some other thing. It'd be kind of interesting. Maybe you right. need to reach out and say to some folks, hey, I have all this data. It's all anonymized. Um, if right. somebody's interested in doing something with it. I guess you're going to make it all available via creative commons anyway. So that shouldn't be too much of an issue. So you can get a dump. Um, This one has fewer things I think that would be self-identifying too. Um, Last time, I don't know. There were a couple questions that people that I asked that, or like places where you could fill in notes. And sometimes people put very detailed, like very specific things about what they, you know, and it maybe it'd be identifiable by somebody. Um, But uh this year uh, or this time, um, I think there's a little less of that, but there are a couple questions like um, where we asked, like, why 
would you feel okay talking to, you know, fellow employees or why not? Right. So we ask those questions and those are just places where you type in tech stuff. And I think we're looking for, uh, to hear people's stories and kind of maybe see if there's patterns there, but it's not something you can get exactly, you know, down in, in terms of, uh, an obvious number. You kind of have to read what people say. And I've only had one person this time so far say that I, so say that, you know, I shouldn't get out CC or I should have an option to opt out because I don't, I don't know. I think it's for the most part, this stuff is pretty, pretty handy and people wouldn't need to answer stuff if they didn't feel comfortable doing it. So I don't know. Yeah. It didn't seem to me when I went through it, that there was any information that I could enter in there that would, uh, could easily allow me to be identified as the person submitting that specific set of information. There's a, there's enough fuzziness and enough anonymization going on. I mean, I, I understand some people might be like, Oh, can I opt out of it? It's like, well, sure. then I would yeah. look at it, but I would look at it in terms of, you know, you're pretty upfront that you're collecting this information for later use. It's, kind of weird to to say to for someone to go through the survey and then say they want their results to not be included when you're handing the um, yeah. results set out. It's, I, I could see that if people are having to actually put, you know, easily identifiable things, names, actual employers, um, yeah, right. things like that. I could see that. Yeah. And, and I've talked with a couple of people about maybe the possibility of taking this survey and, and this would be interesting taking a survey and having people in a workplace take it. And the reason why that's interesting is, is twofold. One, I think it helps employers learn more about their, um, the people working there and what they have to do. And I bet it's going to be eye opening to them to say, well, this isn't just like a general thing. Our, our, you know, they'll think our workplace is different, you know, but to really break that out and see what it's like. Then the second thing I think is interesting there is it's not self-selecting. I mean, one of the drawbacks with this, you know, approach that I have is that where it's like, please fill this out is that people who are interested in this topic are going to be the ones who fill it out. Right. Um, if you are able to somehow through, uh, I don't know, you give them a candy bar or something, uh, compel and persuade, uh, say a set of people who, uh, say, okay, everybody take this survey, right? Please fill this out. Um, then uh, you have a better chance of not being self-selecting and you can see, well, maybe uh, like, let's say, especially if it's a larger group. You can see, well, at least in this workplace, maybe there's a higher or a lower incidence of various different things. Is the diagnosis rate in general for a mental health disorder, is it higher than the general population? The general population, um, you know, there we have a better chance of seeing that. Um, But it's always a tough thing because, I mean, I don't know. If you look at, like, how they do a lot of surveys like this, um, sometimes it's surprising where it's just like take – I'm going to give you $10 to fill this out. Right. Or I guess a lot of places use like Amazon mechanical Turk for survey for, especially for like um, sort of like social science stuff. And uh, I read an article about that and there was some question about whether or not that it was necessarily whether there were issues then with the data because they were doing that. I don't know, but it's hard to, sometimes it can be hard to get people to participate in something uh, that they're not interested in. So it's always, that's always kind of a thing to figure out, like, you know, how, 
what path did you get to get this person to take it? And that's the thing is I wish it wasn't self-selective, but I also can't compel like 10,000 developers randomly selected to, uh, to take this survey. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting stuff and I think it'll, it's, hopefully it'll inform what a lot of people do, but it's definitely going to inform like what, uh, uh, what, what I and the other folks who are, who are working on this, uh, at open sourcing mental illness, what we can figure out uh, to do in the future, where to focus our efforts. Yeah. Maybe one of these days I'll take some of this stuff to the folks at Mozilla and see what they have to say. Cause they, hope, yeah. they might be willing to uh, participate. Let me, uh, let me think on that about who I need to talk to about this. See if there is some interest in it. Right. You, Cause you I'm, need a, some, a big player to get behind it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I can find, find a big player. I'm sure I can find the right person or at least I can talk to the person who knows somebody who can help us out with this sort of thing. Yeah. Right. All right. So enough about the survey. Yeah. Shut uh, up about that. Yeah. We can talk about it when it's finally, I, I'd like to come back and talk about this once the, the survey period is over and you've been, mm-hmm. and you've uh, had a chance to pass that data off to some people and they've crunched the numbers and, excuse me, looked for some interesting correlation um, in people's responses. That, that idea of, of breaking things uh, of breaking things up into, you know, the idea of that developers who are classifying themselves in a different positions, the type of problems that they're reporting. Because you're right, a lot of this stuff is, mm-hmm. is it is self-selecting. So there may be certain things that you're recording a higher incidence of because people are willing to talk about it. I mean, there, yeah. seem, there seems to be an overall opinion that, more folks who are like ADHD and associated um, um, illnesses uh, end up working in tech because that type of um, some of the attributes that people mm-hmm. who suffer from them have are right. not are not so harmful when you work in the in the tech field. You know, yeah, they're well, they're and in fact are helpful. Yeah, like, <laughs> You're right. like, like we talked about with Kenneth last time, some of the yeah, some but, of the stuff that he exhibited. You know, his manic tendencies. Mm-hmm. You know. Look good because people look at it and said, "Wow, he can really crank the stuff out and crank out good quality things too." And when it turns right. out, well, it's it's actually just because his brain is wired much much differently, and it ended up being wired in a very um very detrimental way. But that's not. Right. I don't like revisiting old episodes. We'll do that when we get to number one hundred. Oh, shut up. Um. So so next thing we want to talk about, uh, for those who uh, did not follow my angry rantings on Twitter a couple of days ago, um. There was an incident where a conference that was for functional programming called LambdaConf had done a call for papers and they had anonymized the submissions. And for those who aren't kind of familiar with the process, <coughs> excuse me, the idea is that you remove as much identify as many identifiable identifiable things from the submissions with the idea that the talk title and the abstract or description or whatever you want to call it um, can stand on their own. So as they went through the process, they discovered that uh, one of the talks that was, you know, rating very well with those who pick was submitted by um, by a gentleman who has a very public reputation for advocating racism and slavery. And the, uh, you know, this can be a humongous problem for some people. The conference had to decide with the author of this talk being um, revealed did they want this person to speak at the conference or were they going uh, were they going to say this person's personal beliefs are not important we're interested in what they have to say about this particular technical thing that they wanted to present or did they want to say we believe this person's personal beliefs disqualifies them from speaking at the conference 
So before we get into it, my personal feeling was by allowing a person with this particular set of beliefs, which are very hateful and treat certain people as being less than human because of the color of their skin, I believe that people like that should not be given a platform to speak on any idea at a, at a conference. That's my personal opinion about technical conference. Whatever technical contributions they have, I believe are overshadowed by these personal beliefs. They're being very divisive. They're being very hurtful and oppressive towards people. The people that run LambdaConf disagreed. They felt that that uh, they talked about a very agonizing decision. They tried to they used a lot of language that seemed overly defensive in their explanation of it. And but in the end, they've decided that they that they the organizers were okay with letting this person present a technical talk at this conference. So the fallout to this has been a lot of very uh, heated discussion on on Twitter. Uh, some speakers who had committed to who had who had accepted to speak there have pulled out. Some people who bought tickets have said. I'm not going to come. A bunch of sponsors have pulled out of the conference and some other groups that were going to be holding workshops associated with the conference have pulled out as well. So, you know, Ed and I, we talked about this a little bit before. We don't want to get into the specifics of LambdaConf itself and the specifics of this person's beliefs. Instead, we wanted to kind of talk about... And I guess it's more on my side because Ed's never really organized a conference, but he's certainly heard plenty of it from me as I've gone through, you know, this year's this year and the final edition of True North PHP will be five times. And I'm sure Ed has his own thoughts on organizing conferences. So we kind of want to talk about, you know, making the conference that you want. So we had kind of a, a couple different angles that we wanted to to approach that. So I, for me, the first one that I wanted to, to talk with Ed about was the idea that when you're building a conference, I think without realizing it, you can really uh, you structure the conference in one of two ways. You're either you're either building a conference for a certain set of speakers, or you're building a conference for a certain set of attendees. And um, when you decide to take that approach, you end up with uh, I think two completely different set of criteria when you're judging things. Uh, when you decide about the attendee, uh, when you, when you, in my opinion, when you focus on the speakers, you're making the choice of um, wanting to provide specific content, right? That you're looking for speakers that you feel will talk about ideas that you feel are valuable and then speak about them well. And that by doing it that way, people will want to come to your event. Uh, for me personally, for True North, I would say I actually fall in on the building a conference around certain types of speakers that I want certain types, not necessarily specific people, but certain types of people to come and talk. I, I look for um, uh, speakers who are talking about specific topics. I also look for speakers that I know have delivered high quality talks. So in a way, I'm kind of curating not individual speakers, but uh, a cohort of speakers with the idea by selecting a group of speakers that I feel will do a really good job at delivering whatever topics they are submitting will lead to a good um, event, right? So that's one type of conference. Another type of conference is where you decide kind of what your audience for the conference is going to be. And this is usually about um, the overall skill level and interest of the audience and then 
what you really want the audience um, to learn. So I have not built a conference like that, but I see some conferences that um, are attempting to do that. Uh, and I'm not quite sure how to describe how I feel about that. I mean, I, I mean, I prefer, like, I'm always thinking that the content matters, excuse me, more than the audience. So I'm always looking for really good topics because I figure with a good enough lineup, people will want um, to come. So, um, so Ed, what are your thoughts on the, the speaker building for speakers versus building for attendees concept? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think that it, it depends a little bit and I, I think I view it differently because I haven't been on the, uh, conference. I mean, I've organized some events, but not a full conference. Right. Um, and uh, typically that's kind of not the thing that I do, but I mean, my tendency is to think about it also from the point of view of the speakers and that the speakers are the thing that drives the event. So that, so I t- would tend to curate what, you know, the, the stuff a little bit more like, um, you know, one of the things about, about the, about this particular uh, Lambda Conf event was that they anonymized from beginning to end. Right. So you would say you would vote or their committee would decide on the schedule without knowing who the speakers are, which I thought was interesting. Um, I think that that is probably, Oh, hang on a second. I got some weirdness with my microphone. Hang on just a sec. Talk amongst yourselves. Hello. Hey, how's it going? I can only hear out of one ear, which is a little weird. Let me configure. Hey, that was just the the headphone. Never mind. <sighs> We're back together now. Did you miss me, Chris? With every shot. Of course. Um. So I was saying, I think that that's kind of, I made sort of a snarky remark about that. And I think that that approach is okay if you're organizing an open mic night, but might, but I would think that you would want to put a little more effort into picking, Hey, I think this person is a good speaker and I want them to present there. Um, There are some topics that are made interesting because of the speaker. There are some topics that are very interesting and are made horrible because of the speaker. Um, So that's I mean, the point is that an abstract, I feel like, doesn't tell you anything about somebody's ability to present in front of people in this kind of form. It's a it's a particular kind of method of communication and presentation and performance. and, and, And you don't really know a lot about that. However, It is perfectly valid to say, I'm going to organize an event like an unconf, which means people just sign the fuck up and just talk, right? They just, there's a bunch of slots, type, write your name in, you get to talk, right? At that slot, that, that time, that, you know, space, you're going to talk about whatever the hell you want to. And I think that's perfectly valid in the same way that improvised music is perfectly valid as opposed, you know, or improvised comedy is just as valid as stuff that is completely scripted out. Right. They're both valid approaches. Um, My tendency is to side on the 
non-improvised open mic night situation. Um, because like I said, I think I'm there for the speakers, not just the topic. Um, I think there, I've, I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of things where I've picked on topics and sometimes I'm like, boy, this is really good. And sometimes I'm like, boy, this is terrible, you know, and it actively makes me not interested in it. something I thought would be interesting. So I definitely side on the, like, you want to know who's speaking. Um, uh, I should say that I think that there's some value in anonymization, maybe like really up, like at the first, at first blush right but um i don't think that you should do that all the way through and the reason why you'd anonymize it all would be i want to remove any unconscious biases i have and um and that in a lot of in, in a lot of other ways this this particular conference did a ton of stuff that that is you know really they tried hard to be very inclusive of everybody to to get you know so they did a bunch of stuff that they put in a lot of effort. They had an extended code of conduct, et cetera. Um, but this anonymization where the, the reason why you do that is because, because it's work, it's more work to remove pronouns and stuff like that from abstracts and see you know, and CFP responses. And so, you know, they worked extra hard to feel like they were picking ID, you know, abstract ideas and not picking based on, attributes of the speaker for better or for worse. Um, so I definitely side on the feeling like as a conference organizer or as an event organizer, what have you, the point is that you are choosing to create a culture and that's in your hands. Now you get to choose what culture you create and how you go about that is your choice. But Personally, I would not choose somebody who I felt like was actively, you know, I felt like it was contrary actively to something that I felt. Right. Um, maybe I should interject that this particular thing I have read the dude stuff. And I think there's I think it's more complex than, oh, this guy is obviously racist. But there's this whole other aspect, too, of does it even matter if like 70% of people, let, let's say, or even like 20%, but allowed 20% of people think that somebody is reprehensible, can you even have them in your conference and not have it so distracting that it can destroy the conference, which unfortunately looks like what's happening to Landbakov. You know, that's a whole other thing. Chris, maybe you can talk more about that. You got more experience with it. But if somebody's on, but let me say this, I, I thought of this story. When I was in seventh grade and my middle school experience was horrific. So I'll tell you about that sometime. But in seventh grade, I, I uh, was in class. It was in eighth grade. Actually, I was in class and somebody said something that they clearly didn't know what they were talking about. And I said, because I can't sort of, I couldn't sort of keep my, so just say, you know what, this person's just an idiot. I don't care. I felt compelled to say something about it. And I said that the person was like at the end of the thing I said, it was, you're just ignorant of this situation. I used that word because that was the word. That was what I meant. I meant you didn't know what you're talking about. Apparently 
And this social group, though, this context of this little subculture that was this uh, Catholic junior high school, ignorant was hard, like wildly more insulting than it should kind of be, right? It's just, I don't know about it. I say myself, I'm ignorant of that issue. I couldn't tell you what that, but it was like, oh my God, you had said that they are, it's like you had said that they are incapable of human thought. And this was this huge deal that this, this person was wildly offended and it was such a huge thing. And people were like, how did you say that? It was this huge. And I'm like, I didn't, what are you talking about? And it was still a big deal, no matter what I meant. Like these people still thought that I had said something horrible when I think they just didn't know what it meant. But I don't know. And I'm not saying that is a, a, a one-on-one analogy with what's going on here. What I am saying is that there are times where, you know, you just everybody thinks that you're the person X is disliked. And no matter what you do, maybe that's just going to be a huge thing. And it's going to mess up your conference. If you have decide them, not just decide to have them attend, but decide to, or ask, you know, say you can buy a ticket, but actually ask them to speak. Right. That's a different thing. All right. I'll shut up now. Cause I want to hear what you have to say. Well, I haven't run into that scenario. So I've been very, very fortunate. I think, um, I think part of the reason for it is that um, I believe that people view the conference as an extension of me. You know what I mean? Like it's I'm right. I'm very intimately involved. I, I promote the conference. Uh, you know, I, I go out of my way to treat the speakers really well. I go out of my way to try to be very um, inviting to people to come to the conference. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you're you're right you brought in a whole uh, you know brought up a whole bunch of really valid points you know when you're when you're creating a conference you're choosing the the culture that you want and and you know lambda conf uh, they made a choice and you're right it it has turned out to have had some really really bad consequences um for their decision you know they've uh, and this segues nicely into the next thing i wanted to to talk about um because it's this it's the idea of um, this is a technical conference, so the only thing that should matter is the person's technical opinion on things. So if you look at it that way, you could, on the one hand, at a very base level, say, okay, whatever their personal beliefs don't matter because we're picking them based on uh, their technical knowledge. But most conferences these days have a code of conduct. And the code of conduct usually has nothing to do with uh, with technical expertise. The code of conduct is all about here's how we expect people to behave when Mm -hmm. they're at the conference. These are the things we expect. Basically, you're telling a bunch of lists of things that we don't want people to do. We don't want them uh, highlighting the difference between races. We don't want them highlighting the differences between genders. We don't want people using insulting language. We don't want people being physically violent. All these things. Code of conducts are, for the most part, no matter how you write them, are like, these are the things we don't want. If you do these things, you're out of here, is basically what most of these code of conducts are saying. Very few conferences these days are getting away with having a code of conduct that basically says, well, you know, just be, just don't be a jerk, because that's it's clearly not enough. So to me, there's kind of a hypocrisy in action when you've decided that uh, we are going to let people speak based only on technical knowledge, but then we have a code of conduct that says what people are allowed to do 
um, when they're here. So if you have someone who's giving a presentation and they have a, they have a, a set of really oppressive beliefs. And so let's, let's be a little bit clear about this kind of topic because some people try to engage me on a, on a, uh, in an argument along a particular line on Twitter, and I was just having none of that stuff because it was because, in my opinion, it was complete utter nonsense. Where people are, where people are labeling um, uh, like racism as a political belief, when it's my opinion that it is not. This is not about believing that people are less human than you. Uh, is one thing, right? That's a belief. That's an opinion. And as we've discovered, well, opinion. You can have your you're entitled to your own opinions about things, but you're not entitled to your own facts, right? Facts are facts, right? So where the where the for me where the tipping point is when when you actually use your particular set of beliefs to actually advocate the oppression of people. Right. To me, that's where the line is. People were trying to say stuff like, well, this is a slippery slope. And then, you know, oh, I've been there are non-technical events where I've gone to where people have told me I'm not welcome because of my beliefs. And I'm like, well, we're not we're not talking about you being that you're 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 asking where people are saying you shouldn't be here because of what you believe. You're asking to not be here because of what you've done with those beliefs. Like, I mean, Ed, I think you can agree with me that if you're racist and you don't talk about your racial views, it doesn't mean you're not a racist. It just means you're not talking about them. And it's one thing to be racist. It's another thing to be racist and then publicly act, you know, advocate and encourage other people to act on your particular set of racial beliefs, right? I, I am positive that I personally have invited speakers who have some really horrendous beliefs about various things that I would probably not be happy to find out, right? And this is just on a personal. However, mm-hmm. except for one or two people, and I'm definitely not going to get into it on this episode, <laughs> right. very few, like those are only one or two people I can think of who have actually publicly and very vocally done actions based on those beliefs. To me, that is the big difference. Look, everyone has, nobody's perfect. Everyone has really weird views on things. But my thing was like, you're, you're to get back to the original thing, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I'm going to not care about a person's personal beliefs because they're going to, because they're just delivering a technical talk and then have a code of conduct that says at the same time, uh, you can come give this technical talk but you're really not allowed to express any of these views that you that you have that I'm really hoping you don't talk about because I've because I'm expecting you to only talk about uh, about technical things. I mean, Ed, here's yeah. a good scenario. What if you invite someone like this, right? And the opening parts of their talk, they launch into uh, they start launching into a monologue about their beliefs. As yeah. a conference organizer. I have no goddamn idea what I would do at that particular moment. I would probably just like be stunned into silence for like 30 seconds to a minute that this thing is actually happening at my event. And then I would have to go up there and pull the plug. And this would be a very public thing of going up there, stopping the speaker and telling the speaker you're out of here. Like I've never had to do that. I've never actually seen that happen at another technical conference. 
So this is the this is the reason why personally I would say if a person has a set of very oppressed uh, beliefs that are focused on oppressing other people that I don't want them anywhere near my event because mm-hmm. at any time they could express those beliefs and this could easily spiral. It's, you know, everyone would like to think that you could be nice with people and just say, okay, look, man, you know, we got to stop talking about this. Can you not say that? We're going to have to ask you, like, what happens if, if they get into it with another attendee? Do you want to have cops showing up at your event? Right. right? Do you want well, fights? Yeah. Do you want, right. do you want the, the important thing too, as a conference organizer, do you want to be forever associated with a, uh, a horrible event? Like this, right. that that either way, nobody involved in this thing gets to win, right? That the, what you yeah. want is you want the conference to be a win for for the speakers and for the attendees, and anything that you're doing that could that could turn attendees against the speakers mm-hmm. is not something you want to be getting into for any reason whatsoever. I don't see what the advantage is to even allowing the opportunity for this type of confrontation between a speaker who is only supposed to be there to do a technical talk, get into it with people because of what the get in, get into it with people at the event because of their personal views on something. Yeah. I, and I think that, I mean, what that gets into is uh, you want to know who's speaking at your conference or who is interested in speaking at your conference, because you want to know if they're the kind of person who's going to do that or not. <laughs> I mean, I think that, and I, I think there's a wrinkle in this particular situation that, where I would argue that I think it is not a cut and dried situation that like, yeah, we saw this dude, uh, like say very, very obviously racist things. Like, are you a member of the Ku Klux Klan? You, you know, uh, do you, and you say that you believe you advocate those beliefs? I think it is, uh, much more subtle in this case. And could, you could argue veers into the idea of what you're saying is going to probably upset people because it sounds like maybe you're saying that this is the case, but I've actually read some of the stuff stuff and I kind of don't agree that he is a cut and dried, very obvious racist. Uh, But that's a whole other debate. Um, I think that it is clearly the case that we make judgments about people's personal beliefs and keep them from participating in our events, which are things where we decide who gets to, who speaks and who doesn't via however method we choose, but we're the ones choosing because it is a private event and there are some certain you know, protected classes and legal things and stuff like that. And there's certain things about whether it's a fully private event because it happens at a semi public place or whatever. There's, there's all sorts of nuance to that, but it is still the case that if, you know, if David Duke submitted to give a talk about React JS at a conference, and it's like, we really want to have a talk about React JS, uh, well, somebody is going to say, I don't think we should have David Duke present at our conference, right? And 
in that, even though, hey, man, his technical stuff doesn't have anything to do with his racist beliefs. But we obviously do make those decisions and we say, yeah, no, that that cro- that is over the threshold where we're OK with that. And it, you know what? I'm just it's not going to work, dude. Sorry, I can't do it, you know. Uh, and I don't want that person speaking in my, so you either say, Hey, I don't, I think you're too much of a grenade David Duke. And I can't let you speak, even though you promise that you're not going to say anything is reprehensible or it's going to, you know, maybe you say stick it, but I just can't let you speak. Or you say, I do not want to give a platform where I, um, uh, present, uh, on a wildly a more public way and sort of like hold up somebody uh, because of their beliefs in, in a sector that's unrelated. We all do that. Whether this particular thing crosses that threshold for you, that's for you to decide. Uh, however, we obviously make those kinds of decisions. Um, and, does that mean that any legal rights that that person has should be withdrawn? No, I do not think that. I think that's a terrible idea. However, that is not the situ- you know, it is not a situation where his legal rights are being, you know, or, or her legal rights or whatever, or however you want to say. You're not Im- imposing upon their legal rights. You're making a decision about the, the culture you want to create. And you're saying, and there's certain things that you're not, that you wouldn't allow in there. I guarantee you. And the other thing I think is interesting about this is that um, there's plenty of shit that we just don't know. Right. I mean, this person apparently didn't, I guess, bury their, uh, you know, I think they seem intelligent and they, but they didn't bury their uh, uh, writings enough where a lot of people would find offense at it and then make connections to their public persona. Um, I think if I had, you know, I've, I've probably written some stuff that was kind of controversial and, uh, sometimes I'm, you know, some things that I'd rather people didn't see, you know what I mean? Um, I guarantee you there's people around who are kind of like, who, who, who gives talks at conferences. I guarantee you're going to run into some of them who are kind of like, well, I don't know. She was drunk. So I think it's okay. I guarantee you that guaranteed. If somebody out and out says that, I wouldn't let them in my conference because I'm like, that's some bullshit. And I don't care if you're a friggin' expert on it. I, but, you know, that's me. I wouldn't have uh, Linus Turvalds come and speak at my conference because the guy seems like a dick. And I don't think you should let give dicks a platform. No matter what their, you know, greatness in terms of, uh, 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 you know, technical knowledge. And maybe they're only going to speak on that and it's not an issue. That's me. I don't know. Uh, you might disagree, but I don't know, man. So I think, I think it's a, I think it's a tough thing. I think, you know, I don't think this one is quite as cut and dry, but I think it's one of those things where, uh, I think it's a, it's a mistake for people to say, well, it's a slippery slope, but no, you make your decisions. And I think there's, there's so many obvious examples that we can give that says, yes, there is a threshold that I have that says that I wouldn't want to let that person speak. You know, I, you just don't, it, it, it is not, you know, because you get to make those decisions. Maybe you want to have a conference that that's the, where you 
have all sorts of people with different beliefs come and they just talk about technical issues and man, you want to try to pull that off. That's fine. But I, I wouldn't imagine that you're going to do real well sponsor wise and maybe attendee wise. I mean, do I think you should be your right to do that? Yeah, I guess. I don't think it's, I wouldn't do it. I don't know. Uh, So so there was a, there was a question uh, in the Slack channel. Oh my um, God where someone asked me about my thoughts on uh, Brandon Eich, uh, the creator of uh, JavaScript, and his brief, brief time as the CEO of Mozilla before um, he was no longer CEO, resigned, fired, whatever, uh, jumped before you were pushed. So I think I will say two things about that. So number one, I wasn't working at Mozilla when that all went down. Uh, Number two, I think... Um, that making him the CEO was a bad move for an organization that prides itself on diversity and, uh, um, you know, had backed uh, pro-LGBT uh, initiatives and things like that. Uh, the executives who put him into that position had to have known about his tendencies and other things that he had supported. And again, this kind of goes back to create the culture um that you want and you know as an organization uh how you feel about someone who had done the things uh in his private life that he had done if that's the type of person you wanted leading their initial thoughts were yes and then after uh more and more people you know focused on some of the things that he had done in his private life uh they decided yeah maybe this is maybe this is not uh what we want our organization um, to be viewed as. So, I mean, uh, I think, Ed, you did, uh, you did, you know, raise a, a lot of good points because I, I think we're almost, mm-hmm. almost done with this topic. I just, I think, I, I, I think that people's desires to kind of say that, um, you know, they can separate personal beliefs uh, from technical stuff. There's also a question here. Are you a bad person because you have specific thoughts or only if you act on those thoughts? Um I can only speak for myself when I say um, everyone, everyone's brain is wired to have aberrant thoughts from time to time. So uh, having the thoughts, in my opinion, is not the issue. Acting on the thoughts um, is the issue. Doing things to actively oppress other people is the issue. And I will uh, put my foot down and argue with anybody who somehow claims that uh, you can separate people in such a way, like Ed said, you talk about Linus Torvalds, super smart guy, but you know, if you shake the, if you shake the magic uh, eight ball, it'll say uh, all signs point to asshole. So uh, again, there are some people whose personality is such that their technical contributions are completely overshadowed by their um, personal actions. Um, you know, I like you look at it this way, right? This is a totally hypothetical thing, and uh, and I talked about it on Twitter, right? Um, if I became a very virulent racist and very publicly expressed those views online, contributed money to organizations like that, uh, how, how many people would be comfortable having me come to their conference and talk about technical issues, knowing that at any moment? 
I could just decide to start talking about that stuff. Or I could I would subtly weave it into my presentation. My personal opinion would be like, yeah, no, I would if if I was if I was looking at the super racist version of me, it's like, no way am I letting the super racist version of me anywhere near my event. Because that's mm-hmm. not what that's not what I want my event to be. I believe that when you let people speak at your technical conference, you are indirectly uh, approving of their viewpoints on all sorts of things. So they're publicly stated viewpoints, I should say. Because again, you know, what people think privately is what they think privately. Once they start expressing those views publicly, it goes beyond, well, I'm just, you know, it goes beyond, I'm just fooling around or beyond, uh, uh, you know, that we can separate the technical person from the, from the person, person. Maybe that's the wrong label, but yeah. Um, it's. It, I, th- I think it's real interesting what I mean. What you're saying, and it's it, it, and it's it's subtle in a lot of places, right? Because all accounts from people who have worked with Brendan Ike that I've known and spoke to personally, I never, I don't think I ever met the guy, said he was a really great guy, and never said word one ever about these things. If we remember, the only thing that the only reason we know anything about it is because he gave enough money that it had to be publicly reported to an organization that fought the Prop Eight stuff. Or I can't remember what it was. Yeah, no, that was it was the Prop Eight. Whether it was they California. fought Prop Eight or yeah. Prop Eight was saying that gay people couldn't be married. I yeah. can't remember what happened. He he contributed money to organizations that were trying to prevent um, gay marriage from being um, legal in the state of California. Right. And the only reason we know about it is because he gave enough money, which was, I think, $5,000, that it has to be publicly reported. That was the only reason we know. He did not give it on the part of Mozilla. He gave it personally and never mentioned it in his, da- his daily life, did not mention it in his workplace, did not mention any of this stuff. And, in fact, continued to work at Mozilla for years afterwards. Some people were kind of like, well, that seems kind of, what the fuck? But he still held a very high technical position and continued to speak at many conferences and other kinds of things, representing JavaScript, um, representing uh, Mozilla in many different events. Um, but it was only this idea is like, well, yeah, I don't think he should be the CEO. Like that's a different kind of thing. And the way that we treat people in different positions, we hold them to different standards about different parts of their lives. It's, you know, for better, or for worse, it is one of the reasons why in the United States it is it is not legally required, but it is expected of you that you will release your tax returns if you run to be president. Correct. It is not legally required. There is no reason. There's there is no way. No one can, can. The government cannot obligate you to do that. But every candidate does it. And they all do it because we all want to see that they seem like they're in some some flaky shit or not. Because we hold them to a different standard. And, yeah, there's probably some bullshit stuff that they believe. But that's not stuff that ends up on that form. Right. But. We do have that stuff. Um, so, boy, it's a tough thing. I mean, is Brendan Ike a bad guy? I don't know. Seems like maybe he's a good guy, but did some stuff that I disagree with on and does actively did actively hurt people. And I don't know. And I guess the thing that always bummed me out was that whole time that thing was happening. I was like, Brendan, just say that. Just apologize. Just say I shouldn't have done it. Right. 
just say you shouldn't have done it, that you were wrong. Just say it, please just say it. Cause it was, God, it was terrible. And I know it was really hard for the people who worked at Mozilla because actually the interesting thing is in Mozilla, they allowed people to talk about it. They, there was a lot of internal debate, both public and private internal debate. And but what I found out, what I heard from people who I know worked there was that they were getting like hate calls from people who were vehemently angry at Mozilla for doing this because, well, it became, and this gets into this public perception thing. Thought that Mozilla was an anti-gay hate filled organization and was calling them up and telling and, and like calling up random people at Mozilla and like swearing at them and saying terrible things to them. I mean, like who, people who were like, this is horrible, you know, that, that, and they were like, that's not what I believe. And, and I think that that kind of stuff played a big part into why he stepped down. Heck, I had someone uh, like viciously tweet at me when I retweeted a, uh, uh, retweeted about Mozilla hiring stuff. Some guys like, oh, you shouldn't be tweeting this stuff. Mozilla is an anti-Christian organization. Brandon Eich, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man. Right. Like, That's like, the flip side of it. I was like, I wasn't there and I didn't make that decision. And I'm just sharing that there's some jobs here. You're yeah, free right. to believe what you want. And they sent a couple more angry tweets at me and I blocked them. And that was the end of that discussion. It's like, okay. Huh. So, cool. so it's definitely, well, and I remember because what they had, I, now that reminds me that folks had from both sides, both very pro gay marriage and both very adamantly opposed to gay marriage, both hate calling random employees at, at this company. They were both wrong. They didn't understand what was actually going on. They it was a much more subtle issue and they were horrible to these people. And that's problematic too, because stuff like that so often makes these decisions, but I guess it's just part of public events and public life. And when you talk about stuff, right, it's like, it's different between like the group of people I get to invite over to my house and then the group of people I get to invite to a event that I'm going to charge money for and everybody can come to like, and I'm going to publicize widely, you know, we have different criteria and it's, it's the case that there are a, that again, for better, or for worse, some people are going to be mega jerks and talk about stuff they don't know, talk about, but that is going to influence what we can do because that's what it is. It's not, it's not, we're not sort of in a bubble and you're going to have people who are reactionary and reductive and uh, even, you know, uh, things that are not cut and dried and things that are subtle and uh, really call for thoughtful, commentary and debate and figuring out what's going to happen. I mean, one thing I'll say is like the LambdaConf folks clearly put a lot of thought and effort into trying to figure out what they were going to do. Yeah, definitely. I don't, that's, that's the thing to it. I mean, they did clearly everything, all signs point to them that they didn't, uh, they didn't make a snap decision. They all, you know, the organizers got together and said, man, we have this, we have this and problems, not the correct word, right? We have this situation yep. and we have to decide how we want this situation handled. 
Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I can see their point of view where they said in that in that article, they said, well, is do is this necessary? Do I believe that this is going to endanger the people attending the conference? And they came to the conclusion that they did not believe that was the case and therefore went ahead with it. And what and but but what is tanking them is really strong reactions to it where they're like, no, fuck you. This guy's a racist. And I think that is very clear. I think I believe it is much subtler and carefully considered than that. But that is not the, that is not how many people choose to uh, interact about things. And those are people who influence what goes on at your conference. That's part of you have a public event. If it's not it's a closed event, you invite whoever the fuck you want, right? But it's kind of not that way. It's like uh, I'm a big iced tea fan, but uh, you know, two months after Cop Killer uh, came out and that first Body Count album, probably not the guy I would have had come and speak at my conference. Why? Because I bet there'd be a lot of people freaked out about it because. Dan Quayle was talking about him and George Bush was talking about him and all these, you know, FOPs and police agencies. And I'm not, I'm not anti-cop. I'm a big supporter of the police in general on a person to person basis. Uh, I'm a big supporter of them. Uh, but uh, I wildly disagreed with how they did that. And I thought that he was expressing a point of view uh, of, uh, of, uh, of how people felt about that kind of stuff. And it was something that, if you're going to actually talk about what's going on, it is something that is subtle and it is something that is nuanced. And that isn't, but that's not what people saw. They said, this guy's talking, he was advocating killing police officers. And that's not what was going on. But that is what it kind of sounds like. And you just can't fucking do it. And that's why I think you got to know who's going to call, come talk at your conference when you're making the schedule. I guess that's, that's what I do. Um, somebody asked uh, on the point of apologizing, should he have to do so in a case where he does not personally believe that? No, but I would say that I was hoping that's what say Brendan Ike would do. If he didn't, if he, that wasn't what he thought, then probably he shouldn't be the CEO of Mozilla. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, that question in chat is a good one too. Um, no, I'm the same with you, Ed. I, I don't think people for the most part can tell when someone's giving an insincere apology. Mm-hmm. And people can tell when they're apologizing for the sake of apologizing because the language is always the same. It's the I'm sorry. Everything that's a variation of the I'm sorry you were offended apology is the non-apology apology. Mm-hmm. I don't believe uh, Mr. Ike should have had to go up there and say, I'm sorry for contributing to a cause that I um, believed in. I'm sorry for the hurt that it caused people because those are all decisions he made when those are all you you'd hope he thought about all that when he decided to make the donation he had to have known that there would be a public record of it and i mean maybe he hoped that it wouldn't become an issue and like you said i heard from people too that he was a super you know uh, good guy to 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 deal with i also know other people who have had problems with mm-hmm. with him especially mm-hmm. in social media and forums butting into conversations where um, he wasn't invited and mm. commenting mm. all over them. Uh, 
in a super hyper defensive mode on technical issues, not about right. stuff in his personal life. So, I mean, right. I, long story short, no, I don't think he should have been forced to apologize. It's just it became very, very clear that as long as he was going to be the CEO, it would be a humongous distraction. And Mozilla, I can tell you, in my short time here, Mozilla is all about the mission and staying on track and staying focused. And things that super detract from the mission are dealt with. And if it means that the CEO has to go, well, the the CEO goes and the organization as a whole doesn't shed a lot of tears about it. Like, nope, we have our mission, we have our goal, and anything that gets in the in the way of of that goal, we're just simply not cool with. Yep. So that that what you said that. <laughs> All right, I think I'm tapped out, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I think we've been talking for a heavy while. stuff, brother. And uh, two really uh, really heavy stuff about this. Uh, I thought the the talking about the conference thing was a good one. Cause that, you know, I've, you can look at it and say, I'm fortunate that I have not um, had to make a decision about that. I will say with a hundred percent honesty that there have been some people who've made submissions where, where I have said, uh, yeah, no, I don't want that person speaking at my conference and not because, mm-hmm. and it's not because the, not because they have really odious, oppressive personal views. It's just for other reasons where I've said, yeah, I just don't think that person is a good fit. Um, the way they will mix with other people is not something I just, I just don't want it. Just, I just don't think it's going to happen mm-hmm. for lots of other reasons. Not really. They're usually not because they're like writing uh blog posts about how slavery wasn't necessarily a bad thing and, and, and mm-hmm. some other uh, things that, that you know, certain individuals have done, but you know, it does happen. I'll look at a thing and say, yeah, no, I just don't want that person. Am I, yeah. I'm not comfortable with them here for a bunch of reasons that again, I'm just simply not going to get into on a public forum. And I'm sure some of the people listening know who some of these people are that I've been talking about. Anyway, stop talking, Chris. Yeah. Stop talking about it. <laughs> um, so this has been another exciting episode of the development hell podcast episode number 75. Uh, yeah. I, I would thank our guests, but no one said, uh, I have to thank Ed, which is really weird and uncomfortable. Yeah, that uh, is uncomfortable. We should thank uh, our, our, our the, we got some good questions in the chat room. We did get some good questions. Uh, and no, we're not going to repeat the, who the controversial speaker is. There'll be a link to, uh, to Lambda. The only link we'll probably have about this is, um, uh, Lambda conf, the conference itself, their explanation, um, for, um, what, uh, you know, their explanation as to why they did what they did. Um, and there, I have seen some good, um, I've seen some good uh, follow-ups from people on Twitter. Most of them have been of the reason why uh, why that person should not have been of allowed to speak. I have not. Again, this may be betraying my personal uh, opinion on it. I have not seen a this person should be allowed to speak argument that I thought held any kind like that, that I thought was just simply be uh, beyond the case of, well, you know, it's a meritocracy and this person's only here to talk about their technical stuff and just kind of ignored all the issues that we touched on about culture mm-hmm. and the, and the comfort of the audience knowing that somebody is there like that. And like, I mean, uh, as someone said to me in a private message, you know, uh, maybe some of some of the people who think it's cool to have that person at the conference, maybe they should ask some of the people that they've said super negative things about in public. Ask them how they feel about having to be in the audience, watching someone be in a position of power and privilege, 
um, talk about, uh, you know, talk when they in the audience uh, have no say in uh, uh, in this person's uh, participation in the event, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you're right. There are a bunch of solid, it is, it, a lot of these things are not cut and dried. Um, and I don't think, uh, my, my personal opinion is that, me as a conference organizer, this would have been a snap. Like, yeah, after the after the the veil of anonymization got lifted, I'd be like, yeah, there's no way this guy's speaking at the event. It's just it's gonna it's going to it's going to cause too many problems having this person here. I don't care if this is the most brilliant um, technical project um, ever uh, ever created. Uh, this person will it, people will be talking about this person instead of the conference. And the goal yeah. is, and the goal is for the conference to be the focus focus point, not the uh, not the individual speaker. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ed, you want to thank our sponsors? Yeah, we should thank our sponsors who will be excited about uh, sponsoring this exciting episode. Uh, of course, we got our Rove. They're uh, PHP special forces. They come in. Uh, they uh, kick a bunch of ass. They got a dog that knows Kung Fu. And uh, they uh, whip together your uh, PHP stuff so that, uh, you know, you got something laying around. Probably doesn't have any tests. It was written for PHP 5.1. You're wondering, what do I do with this? I want to upgrade it. Uh, it's all uses MySQL. Uh, it's it's like it has stuff in it about add slashes. And uh, you're thinking, what do I do with this? We can't upgrade because it's a piece of crap. They come in, they uh, tear that stuff up for you. Even Chris, when he was there, he did some of that stuff. He's like, uh, take your turd. I turn it into a diamond because I'm so uptight. I don't know what that means. Uh, you got your backup pro where you got those clients. They're always uh, deleting shit. Uh, or, you you know, they're like, let's put it on DreamHost. And DreamHost takes a shit and breaks everything. And you're like, well, wish I had a backup. Oh, wait, you did because you built in a little bit of money to get this cool backup uh, plugin for WordPress expansion engine, craft CMS, concrete five and press the shop uh, called backup pro, which is like the super best backup plugin you can get. It's going to kick a bunch of ass. It does a bunch of handles database geometry, whatever the fuck that is. And it does like checks on the database or not on the database on the backups to make sure that they actually seem reasonable. So that they're going to work. Uh, it's just a uh, high tech stuff. So when you actually need your backups to work, that's what you get. Take care of all that stuff for you. So you don't need to freak out. Client's going to freak out, but you're going to be the savior. It's going to, you're going to kick a bunch of ass. And you got wonder network. Uh, Paul does not appreciate us. Uh, so, uh, we in fact, uh, have been pulling, uh, campaign contribution stuff about Paul uh, we found some concerning entries in terms of uh, political organizations that he has given money to. Uh, and we're going to be pushing for uh, Gemma Ansible to be the uh, next CEO. So uh, that's where we're going. If you think Gemma should be CEO, hashtag Gemma for CEO. Wonder Networks 2016. Dev Hill said so. That whole hashtag. Use that. And uh, that's it. So, yes, thank you to our wonderful sponsors. Again, honestly, really, we can't get much done 
uh, without them because again, the podcast nope. podcast is not free. It ain't uh, free, guys. It ain't free. We we pour significant resources uh, into doing this stuff. Uh, so uh, yes, we've reached the end of uh, another exciting episode. You can find links to every single episode. All uh, well, the seventy fourth. Yeah, the seventy fourth one is up there. It um, is. Yeah, every single episode is up there. Uh, Ed picks some cool graphics. Uh, I pick the snappy titles. I type up the notes. Uh, Ed harasses me to send them to them. He does an uh, uh, awesome job of editing with that really awesome uh, opening and closing music that we put on there. Uh, so everything's up there, uh, every single episode, along with our very extensive show notes. I highly recommend, actually, people should take a really close look at the, the show notes, especially in the links, because given that we kind of ramble and, and cover a bunch of different topics, sometimes the, uh, the list of things that we've talked about is extremely interesting and often not directly related to the topic but a cool kind of insight into the things that Ed and I like and that our guests, when we do have them on, like. Uh, so you can also find us on iTunes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast. Let us know that we're continue, continuing to be your favorite comedy podcast about technology. Uh, you can uh, find us on uh, Twitter. I've lost the password when I reset my phone, so I can't do things on my phone, but I can do them on my laptop, so I can still tweet things from time to time as the DevHell account. So it's at Dev underscore Hell. You can find me on Twitter as Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, as a little aside... Uh, we won't be getting together to record until about a month from now because the next time we would normally record, I will be sitting on a plane losing my mind as part of the 27-hour trip to go speak at PHP Australia. So I'm hoping to see some of our listeners there. Uh, if not, I'll, I'll see some of you uh, at other places. Ed, do you have any events coming up uh, in the next month or so? Yeah, I'm going to be speaking at the Combine um, in, I think it's April 8th and 9th in Bloomington, Indiana. And then I'm going to be speaking, uh, yeah, yeah, April 8th and 9th. Uh, and then I'm going to be speaking at Kalamazoo X in Kalamazoo, Michigan on April 30th. So uh, probably by the time we record this next one, I will have done the Combine, which is a cool sort of tech and startup and all sorts of nerdy shit uh, and sort of like hyper cool uh, Internet future uh, startup y crap uh, conference down in Bloomington. And uh, Kalamazoo X is a really cool like conference for soft skills kinds of things, specifically for people in tech. So uh, it's a cool conference. I've heard tons of awesome things about it, and I finally uh, badgered them into letting me speak. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, so maybe uh, our next episode we'll do a little bit of a, like a conference recap because we would have been a whole bunch of we would have done a whole bunch of things by then. Definitely. So uh, so that's all we have. So uh, good night, everybody. Good night, internet.